0: Podcast fifty five. Here we go, marketing interns. But before we get started, I want to talk to you a little bit about MBO Midwest Backcountry Outdoors. They navigate charitable waters and guide the community to our nation's greatest heroes since two thousand eighteen. Quite recent. MBO Outdoors craft or MB Outdoors crafts outdoor apparel and equipment for outdoor enthusiasts of all skill sets and ages. The fellas over at MBO. Are given or are driven by a higher purpose to connect others to outdoors by sharing their story, supporting conversation efforts, and helping America's heroes by partnering with charities like Team Red, Team or Team Red White and Blue, Friends of the Boundary Waters, and Camp Patriot. To learn more about MB Outdoors and to share a, your story, check them out at mboutdoors.com and on Instagram at mboutdoorsofficial. Midwest Backcountry Outdoors Clothing. Naturalist in all of us since
1: 2018. And before we get to that intro music, let me give you a preemptive podcast intro. This podcast is phenomenal. We had Dean Kilby on he provided us with content that we didn't expect we had a list of questions prepared and i don't think we looked at him once because he just hit home with what we were talking about and it was so easy to talk to him so i know you guys are going to enjoy this lock in it's a little bit longer than normal uh, but we thoroughly enjoyed the ride and i know you guys will so let's get after this ride roll that intro music Today is June 25th, 2018, and the boys from the back pocket are in the Washington 2.0 for the second time. Declan Brown, how are we? Andrew and Sarah,
0: it's been a while. Can I say that? My goodness. It was, Hilton Head was, you know, a couple weeks ago, but let's also not forget, we've only recorded in this podcast studio once. We've been on the road, we've been rogue, we've been on the internet, connecting with people since then. What a time! It's great to be back.
1: It's good to be back, and you know what we do is always start with an average quality. So let's get right into it. Our average quality is separate this week. We each have our own personal average qualities. Definitely, you want to start us off? Yeah, they're they're separate, but they're equal, and they're
0: <laughs> that sounds funny, but they they feed off each other. It's kind of what I'm saying. And uh, my average quality this week is when I get a question. So when someone asks me a question, when I'm at work, typically. And I don't know the answer I'm really bad at saying or like at bullshitting the answer at like saying or making it sound like my answer to what they're asking make it sound like reasonable. Mm. I'm just terrible at it. Uh, I need to get better at it. Maybe I just learn whatever Why don't just be honest yeah well and yeah, being honest, that works too. Uh, so yeah, I got some, I got some self-reflecting to do on when people ask me questions cause I really need to face it up and yeah. own it.
1: Sometimes you don't need to exaggerate. Sometimes you do. I mean, when you're storytelling there, there needs to be an art to it. You don't want to be honest, but you need to, you know, make yourself seem a little bit more heroic than probably you actually were.
0: Yeah. And I was just trying to be more casual about it. You know, I wasn't trying to admit that I was insanely wrong. Like I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't obviously know enough about it to the point where it's like, okay, now, it, now it, it answered my question. So. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at.
1: Well, okay. Well, my average quality goes back to this whole month of June. I've been in the car. I took a road trip all the way down to Hilton Head, South Carolina with my mother, which was fantastic. The trip down was awesome. For starters, I mean, you're looking forward to the whole trip. So your energy is high, your enthusiasm is high, and the level of entertainment within the car, you're, you're, you're excited about what's, what there is. My mom is talking about the neighborhood, so I get to hear all the gossip about all my um, high school friends and their moms and their dads and their sisters. Just like neighborhood gossip? <laughs> neighborhood gossip to a T. Um, the other thing that uh, you realize is that only takes up a certain amount of time. Okay. And then you go to your podcast and your radio and that you enjoy it as much as you can with that. You get all the way down and you thought you had a great car ride. Okay. And it was. But the average quality is on the way back. You can't do the same thing because you're exhausted from it, and now you're only worried about getting home. So my average quality is: we had great entertainment on the way down, but on the way up, I was my head was just in the sand. I was just dragging. Um, excuse my language, but I was dragging ass. <sighs> hey, well, at least you admit it. At least you know that you
0: were dragging ass for 26 hours from Jacksonville, Florida, to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. But were you at least looking back or looking forward to coming back to podcasting in the in the future in the
1: present time? That's what kept me motivated. Very nice. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm I've, I'm through the tunnel. I'm here talking to you guys today, marketing interns. It's glad to be back here. You know, we apologize for the echo. We still haven't taken it away yet, but we're working on it. We're working on because the door does not have uh, what is it bolts? What did you, it doesn't have hanger or frame hinges. Does not hinges. hinges so and so, curtain. Anyways. Beats. It's a great transition
0: to, uh, I don't know if this is a new segment, but definitely a recurring topic. It's the feng shui update right now. Uh, Andrew, you had just mentioned, you know, like, yeah, obviously I don't have, uh, we don't have a door. So there is a little bit of an echo. So, but what did we get? What did we gain this week? We gained a throne for our guests and it's phenomenal. It trying to describe this. I really can't because it's not mine. Andrew. Andrew. How did we get this throne?
1: Yes. It's so the so th- Lord of the-, of the Rings throne. Yep. I think the throne came to the entire household in um, the early 2000s when Lord of the Rings was most popular, when the movies were still coming out, when the OG movies were coming out. Not The Hobbit. This is Lord of the Rings. With but The Aragorn. Hobbit was good. The Hobbit was good. But this is Aragorn. This is the man, the myth, the legend, the man that really is the epitome of what Lord of the Rings is. And I was obsessed with him. And this chair was up for auction at one of my mom's charitable fundraisers, or my dad's—I can't remember whose it was. But uh, my parents ended up coming home with it. They bid the most, and they came home. And I was wide-eyed, so stoked to have this. And if to describe a little bit, it's about a six-foot uh, chair that you, it's about the, the seat sits about two feet high, and then the, the back <laughs> frame is about six feet high. And there's a crown on the top, flames that look like torches on the side, and then there's Aragorn with a sword, looks like he's stabbing it right into the ground, right into Middle Earth, and a ring in the back, because Lord of the Rings, there's got to be a ring inside the chair. Uh, this is just, we, we called, we asked for a throne, and our marketing interns, my father and my mother, came through. And they absolutely delivered. Let's also
0: not forget that uh, Viggo Mortensen has his freaking... Uh, that's, that's who plays Aragorn. Who plays Aragorn. Signed the thing, so it's it's a signed Lord of the Rings throne of Viggo Mortensen, uh, Aragorn. It's just phenomenal. It's painted. It's like completely made from scratch leather. We were worried when you said it was a, like a throne. I was like, okay, like it's probably. Just, I was ex- um, thinking of like a grand chair, you know, you know, something a little more uh, upstage from these Hawaiian chairs. But you d- absolutely delivered on this wooden beast, and I love it. And I cannot wait for our first guest to come in. And see, like, okay, please sit here. Because, you know, in our old podcast room, it was, like, just a montage of just garbage in in the room. It was a shotgun style. You couldn't really do much about it. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, it was kind of awkward. You never knew where to sit. Now it's quite obvious we say, hey, sit in the throne. You're our guest. We treat our guests with the utmost respect.
1: And that gives us a perfect time to transition into our potential uh, next interviewee, which is Giselle. So for future thinkers, uh, the host of a uh, 96.3 Radio show, Giselle, she's coming in to the throne. She'll be the first one to sit in it, and we're stoked. So that's a little uh, full disclosure um, preview for podcast, potentially 56, maybe 57.
0: Yeah, we don't really know where that's going to shake out, but uh, hopefully she's not listening because then she'll know, and that would suck. So hopefully you're not listening, Giselle. Uh, no worries. Yeah. Anyways, one thing that I realized about our average quality, and uh, one thing that I wanted to touch on, just a little bit before we got into the Dean interview um, was, you know, Andrew and I had just had our average qualities but a lot of the times uh, I I guess I wouldn't say they are entirely meant for satirical purposes. I think we do a good job of showing that it's not just something that's funny. Mm -hmm. It happens to be funny because, you know, it's funny to not be good at parallel parking. It's funny to not um, be average at something. But at the same time, it's definitely... uh, we're average at it because you know it's a it's something that we failed at, and it's something that uh, we just didn't do well at. And I think the people understanding that we're trying to fix those problems, we're trying to f- learn from those failures, and and show that that that's that's how successful people work, you know. And that's kind of where our drive comes through. And I just wanted to clarify and reflect on the average quality for any of our new marketing interns or actually our existing marketing interns because that's a something that gets kind of lost in translation sometimes.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think what we did touch on the Dean Kilby interview is Dean Kilby kind of inspired us to have a more clear way of going about it and with presenting it to the media companies and with presenting it to uh, guests, we needed to have a more clear, concise, very um, direct um, method and uh, purpose to the average quality and what we shared with him and what he kind of helped us realize is the average quality is all about embracing it because you can't resist the average quality to be the best version of yourself if you want to be you have to embrace your average quality and when you do that illuminates a little more self-awareness in your day-to-day routine and through all of that it really results in a humility aspect where you are humble enough to say hey I'm average at this I need help I need to outsource or I just need to focus on how can I get better yeah and I think
0: identifying your average quality or identifying that you failed is only the start and I think that's the biggest difference between those people who aren't successful and those people that are successful the most successful people are the one are just as ordinary as us but they have extraordinary commitment to solving those problems to learning from those failures to figuring out how best how to best myself based on what has happened to me or what I what situation I am just currently in what you're born into sometimes and I think that's Something that just really needs to be talked about in this world right now, and I think we're really trying to put that to the forefront. I just wanted to make that known right away so that people know an average quality is not just something that is funny and makes us a comedy podcast, but at the end of the day, it's something that can help track our progress and show that our drive and our passion to be successful.
1: Absolutely, and trapping the puck on that and transitioning perfectly to D- Dean Kilby he is a person who really took his passions to the extreme. He learned from his mistakes, learned from his failures, understood what his story and what he brought to the table, um, and kind of helped us grow. He showed his growth through and, through all of it. It was a definitely longer interview than normal, but we had to let him talk because when he spoke, we were locked in, and I know you marketing interns will be locked in as well.
0: Yeah, and one more thing, he's Australian, which is just cool. We've never had an Australian on but it's also, like you had mentioned, I think at the very beginning, it was just one of those where you had your notebook of, like, things you wanted to say. And then we asked, like, the very first questions, like, like, uh, you know, kind of an intro thing before we even asked our average quality. Like, just giving us an intro. He talked for maybe, like, five to seven minutes. And at that point, I was like, you know what? He's going to hit his average quality at some point in this. Have faith. Go forward. Live in the moment. Just lock in and listen. I... I, we literally tossed our iPads and whatever we had on the ground. You closed out of the, the notes, and we were just like, dude, let's just listen to this guy. And that's kind of what we're asking you right now. It's a little long, but listen. And if it's listen over a couple of days, if it's listen over you know a couple hours at a time, listen. And that is the biggest thing that I want you guys to take away from this. If you do that, you will absolutely enjoy it. Let's get to it. Marketing interns get locked in this week. We got a phenomenal guest, Dean Kilby, a stem cell, or he's the owner of a the one of the first ever stem cell clinics, MKE Stem Cell Research, in Australia. He's uh, roughly, we did the math, it's about 21 hours away from Minnesota, Australia. Dean, how's it going? I'm well,
1: good day. Thanks for having me on the show. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, This is fun. I mean, we just had Johnny Stofko on about two weeks ago, and uh, through that, we were able to connect with you, and I'm excited. We talked a little bit, a little bit with Johnny about stem cell research, and in that podcast, we actually mentioned briefly how we we were kind of clueless to the whole um, movement of stem cell research and how it had... Uh, and all the controversy that went along with it. So he reached out to you for us, and uh, now we're connected. So I'm excited about this interview. Yeah, great to be uh, connected
2: to you guys. It is exciting. All, all the way from down under, uh, it was uh, obviously a, a great fascination to me uh, to be invited to join you guys on your show in, in Michigan. Uh, is it Michigan or Minnesota. 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 Yeah, yeah, well, maybe you go. that's how ignorant
0: I am about where you're at in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, ex- uh, exact, going back to, I, well, first of all, you're a first Australian ever on our podcast, so uh, that's just something new, and uh, we're very excited about that. Um, but in addition to that, I mean, you're one of the first scientists we've ever had on the show who lives his life through and sees the world through molecules and cells. Uh, just, you know, take... Uh, cracking into the surface of what you do, Uh, can you give us just a little bit of a background?
2: Goodness, if you were a fly on the wall watching me in my day-to-day activities, I'm sure you would still be scratching your head wondering what the heck I do. Uh, It varies from day-to-day, hour-to-hour, place-to-place. Fundamentally, my commitment is to empower and enable people to be well, and that looks many different ways to different people in different contexts. Um, I arrived at this place uh, after many years in academia, obviously going through university and so forth to become a biochemist slash biotechnologist. I think I was the first person in Australia to graduate with an undergraduate degree in biotechnology back when we didn't even fully understand what that meant. and I started my career as a molecular virologist. I did my honors project in in that field in molecular virology, uh, studying a biosecurity level 4 virus. And um, that was really exciting for me because I remember in my first year of my undergraduate degree studying biology, I watched that movie called Outbreak. Justin Hoffman and Renee Russo, if you guys haven't seen it, it was, it was an eye-opener for me. And I thought, wow, this is so exciting. And then three years later, I found myself doing research in the largest infectious disease control center in the Southern Hemisphere, which just happened to be in Geelong in the city that I was uh, studying for my undergraduate degree. And that was amazing. You got to, you know, people worked on these, biosecurity level four viruses in these positive pressure like spacesuits, suits and to get into the laboratory I had to strip down naked and go through this dual airlock system and they provide you with clothes on the inside of course, you don't work in the lab naked. Uh, but that, that was a, an incredible time uh, for me to kind of fall in love with the promise and the opportunity of advancing human knowledge through research scientific research and uh, it was towards the end of my honours degree that uh, my father became very ill. Uh, He had leukaemia along with a couple of other diseases including um, Crohn's disease which is an inflammatory bowel disorder Uh, and he also had some kind of pain issues with scoliosis of his back. not long after I completed my honours degree, my father passed away. And I, you know, you go, you have these pivotal moments in life if something happens. And based on your interpretation of what happens, you make a decision. And, um, you know, we can get into this. My conversation with you guys might chop and change a fair bit. So um, I invite you just to, you know, go with the roller coaster, don't get lost in. The content that I might share, but you know, if you can stay true to my commitment, and that is to contribute you, to you and to your audience in a way that makes a difference to what matters to you, um, I'm sure you'll walk away with some value. But that root, the, the word decide, is derived from a root Latin word, decidere, which literally translated um, to mean to murder off all alternatives. Okay. So it's from the family of words that end in CIDE, homicide, pesticide, suicide. It's all got something to do with killing something off. And when you make a decision, you make a, you make a decision on a particular pathway or who you want to be in life, and you kill off all alternatives, at least for a temporary period of time. And it was in that moment when my father died, I made a decision to contribute and, and make a difference to cancer and I moved from the town where I studied my degree up to Sydney, uh, a great city, a beautiful city, uh, it was very exciting to move up here, I didn't know anyone and at the same time I think I was kind of running away from having to deal with the loss of my father and I was involved with a research laboratory up here in Sydney at Sydney University based on a hospital campus uh, studying cell growth regulation and growth factors and these molecules that can influence not only the growth of cells but their metabolic rate and and I just was fascinated with that whole area and I think I have been truth be called since I was very young I was always curious about how the heck did we grow? How did our cells know to form the structures that they form? Uh, I remember when I was young, being fascinated, looking at my hands, and they were almost a mirror image of each other, and they were like near identical, yet they were separated by the length of two arms and a torso I thought, half of that be? is just incredible, what, what is the intelligence that exists within ourselves that allows for these structures to form and and, and gives rise to who we get to be as human beings and it was just fascinating to me and uh, so that's really where my career started from in the world of academic uh, research and science um, then I went on a, a long and lengthy and very Exciting and oftentimes painful journey, full of struggle and hardship, uh, to arrive where I'm at today. Um, so does that kind of give you an insight of where I started from?
1: Absolutely, thank you, Dean. I mean, that's a that's an incredible story, and I'm excited to unpack it right now. I'm going to start with. Your undergraduate degree. You mentioned briefly how it was one of the fir- You were one of the first people to have that degree in um, biotechnology. Is that correct? Yeah, biotech. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah.
1: What was it like graduating? Because this is this works perfectly with our audience and us right now. You had you graduated with a, a degree that was fairly new. Um, you you may have been the first one and uh, taking that into the professional industry. Uh, how did that work because advice on that would be tremendous for people in our position right now
2: <laughs> yeah look it's it 's very much like most of these uh, accomplishments in life it's very much an anticlimax I, I know you guys have you finished you finished your university undergraduate degree is that correct that's right. going?
1: yes that 's correct We finished in may.
2: Congratulations! Thank you. It's awesome. Now, now here's what you have to confront: is you've got this this accomplishment that's out in your future that you relate to. Like, if I can just get there, if I can just move through where I'm currently at to there, wherever there is for, for you know people at university, it's like when I get my degree, when I graduate, or then then it becomes. Uh, postgraduate you know people go on to do a master's degree or a doctor of philosophy degree or, or whatever it might be and that's not any different to people who are trying to survive their day you wake up in the morning if i can just get through this traffic once i get to work it'll be fine and then you get to work and then it's like man if i can just survive the next couple of hours before morning tea break or if i can just get through to lunch if I can just get through this day or just get through this year or just get through this financial hardship, if I can just get through this health battle that I might be dealing with, then someday maybe everything's going to turn out. And oftentimes those accomplishments that we create for ourselves in the future end up being somewhat of an anti because you get there and you haven't created what's next. Everything's been about that moment. And for me, I I, like finished my degree. I remember submitting my honors thesis. And then there was this void, like this empty space. I literally didn't know what to do with myself. Everything had been up until that moment. And I've experienced that several times in my life. I, I remember... Um, might be a bit early for you guys, I know if you're in relationships, but, you know, when I got married, you know, I met this woman, she was the woman of my dreams, and I thought, right, that's it. You're going to be stuck with me forever. Right? And uh, we were engaged within six weeks. We got married 10 months from the day that we met. And, um, you know, in- that engagement period is, is uh, it's an interesting period. You kind of create this future and, and then you test the heck out of each other. <laughs> yeah, sure. and start Even even quest- And I start questioning, you know, like, man, uh, should we even get married at all? I remember there was a couple of moments my um, my fiance at that time was, you know, she and I would argue and I'd look at her and say, "Jeez, clearly you hate me right now and it's not appropriate that we get married. And the wedding's set on this date, so then it's going to go ahead so we may as well sort our stuff out and um you know those were exciting times but I remember getting married going on the honeymoon and coming back again to this like what now and I noticed that we had stopped standing shoulder to shoulder with each other creating a future that's so big you could only ever fulfill on it as a partnership and it stopped creating that kind of a future to live into. And it's kind of like when you're not in the absence of that kind of future, you end up working on each other, kind of poking here and there, complaining about the other person little arguments. you. You and Andrew, Declan, you might find this in your own partnership or relationship from time to time, Um And in all kinds of relationships, particularly in business relationships, you have to be creating a future that's so big you can only fulfill on it as a partnership. And that's where you get to stand shoulder to shoulder together in the fire, challenging of each other to be bigger than you've ever been before. And that's where you get to create a future and fulfill on that a future that wasn't going to happen anyway. That's called leadership. That's real innovation. You know, there's a particular kind of drift in life that life just kind of happens anyway. You know, someone of your fortune being born in the country that you're in, with the families that you've got, with your level of intelligence, with the sort of general opportunities that you have, even to get educated go to university, there's a sort, certain kind of life that you're going to have anyway. It's kind of, we call it a drift, the drift of life. And it's like you could spend a lot of money and put a lot of effort into building the most beautiful, technologically advanced boat that's ever, that you've ever seen, that, that anyone has ever known of. And you know what? The ocean's going to take that boat wherever the ocean takes that boat. doesn't matter how great that boat is. The ocean, there's a particular drift in life. And... Human beings, we're all pretty arrogant in that we take credit for that drift.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, if we're
2: so great, we're so great. You're going to end up somewhere along that direction anyway. No, but what does it take if you're going to be a real, real leader in organisations and companies and even in academic endeavours these days? People throw words around like creativity and innovation and leadership, and they're not really at the source of. The, the world that those words open up and create. And leaders are not just the ones that go first. Certainly, it, at and very core, a leader is someone who goes first. But a leader is someone who puts their butt on the line in service of others, for other people having miracles in their lives without even knowing how most of the time. And if you live your life like that, it's, I promise you, it sings. But it also involves creating futures that weren't going to happen anyway. And, you know, I noticed that happening. And, you know, seven years on, you talk about some of the the average aspects of a human being's life. I'll tell you what, the average is failing in a postgraduate degree. I didn't complete my PhD. Uh, you don't get any more normal and average than uh, marrying the woman at the time who you thought was you're one and only and you're going to grow old together and then seven years later she wants to divorce you and now I'm separated going through a divorce. You know, I've got children who I uh, have to raise in that environment now and be responsible for the lack of integrity in the family structure that ended in this kind of situation and circumstance and be powerful in the face of that. You go through life, I'm 41 years old now, Declan and and Andrew, and, you know, there was a certain vision or future that I had in mind for myself back when I was a young adult. I used to look at people who were around 40 and there were those that I wanted to aspire to be and then there were those that I judged Quite brutally, like what a joke! And here I am at forty-one myself, going scratching my head, thinking, "Wow, this isn't where I thought I would be at forty-one. This is—I thought I would have more. I thought my life
0: would look and feel a particular way." For sure, and Dean, do you <laughs> ever do you ever think about? Oh, sorry. Um, and like, yeah, you have those failures, right? You're forty-one years old, and you've gone through a tough divorce, and you have that family integrity. That may may it hasn't been completely sacrificed, but it's been uh, you know it's been tampered with, I would say. Um, but you also got to look at. Uh, do you ever stop back and reflect? Because, and I think that's kind of what these interviews do sometimes. And what we've done, you know, we've kind of done some research on your life and what you've done, and maybe this is a good time for you to reflect. But what you currently run is MSK Stem Cell Clinic. You're st- you're the CEO of Stimulus Ideal Protein Australia. And a company called The Wine Doctor. From our perspective, we were like, Dean Kilby is where we wanna be. Like, this guy's starting companies to start um, based on his passions and doing exactly what he wanted to do from the pivotal moment of when his father died. So, do you ever think about it that way as far as, hey, you know, I'm average in these ways, you know, I have my failures, but like, you've leveraged those failures, you've leveraged those into your passion and have made something from it in those four different companies, of which we're talking about right now.
2: Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you want to live an extraordinary life, but you have to start from being an ordinary person. And if you think of the most extraordinary people, the ones that do inspire you, and you think about great leaders and great innovators and what they all have in common, whether it be you guys you know, looking... Up my details online, or if you think about some of the greats from Gandhi to Martin Luther King to whoever it might be. What they all have in common is they're not you. And when we think about these great people that are extraordinary, they're all not us. And there's one, there's an extraordinary leader an extraordinary innovator, someone who can create a future that wasn't going to happen anyway in all of us. And I think that's, from what I've learned of you guys, that's really what you're committed to in bringing out of other people, is that kind of giant. And if you can start with, well, wow, I'm ordinary, I'm an ordinary human being, yet I have this extraordinary commitment. And if you can live your life consistent with... Um, the commitment to have who you are as that vision be expressed in the world, then you're on the right path. Listen, there's always going to be circumstances to deal with. You can't control what life throws at you. Life is going to throw at you all kinds of circumstances, from health issues to um, weather patterns. I mean, you can't control it a tsunami hits or a plane flying to buildings or if another war breaks out or if an industry falls apart or if someone just decides that they don't want to be in love with you anymore. Listen, life is going to happen. And the only thing you have any real dominion over is who you get to be in the face of those circumstances. And I chose to be resilient and I chose to... Um, not resist the various spaces that one must go through when experiencing life, no matter how painful they are. You know, I've lost my father, he, he passed away in 1999. My older brother, who's nine years my senior, he died in 2011. He had type 1 diabetes and he got passed away from um, complications related to that disease. Uh, my best friend died three years ago from cardiovascular disease. My mother died a year ago. Uh, She had a hemorrhagic stroke. And, you know, I went through a um, a marriage separation shortly after. My mother died as well. And, you know, there are these kind of circumstances that, life throws at you and you can either be a victim to your circumstances or what I like to do is choose to remain true to my expression in life whatever that might be and i i gotta tell you it's kind of had some different iterations over the years that if you can stop and listen and i contrast this to the kind of victim mentality that we kind of hear everywhere in the world no matter where you go everyone's a victim to everything you and i included we're not immune to this i'm not so arrogant to think that i'm not An ordinary human being no that's just part of being an ordinary human being being a victim is a great place to be it's like the best place to be to be a victim whatever that is it's like you can be a victim to you know other people who you feel as though screwed you over you can be a victim to your parents you weren't raised properly you can even be a victim to the country or the place in which you grew up oh I wasn't provided with the opportunities that I deserved and if I was then I'd be as rich as the next person etc etc it goes on and on everyone's a victim why? It is the best place to be because if you're a victim and if you look at people that you might consider a victim to whatever the perpetration might be no one expects anything from a victim we give them all the love and and compassion and care in the world. And if you're a victim, you don't have to be responsible for anything. It is the best, safest
1: place to be. And I think that's a w- very well said, and I love that. And I want to take that to what we are kind of preaching with the average quality. People, like the way we try to talk about it, people could be a victim to their average quality. Yeah, I was born into this generation, and I have only been provided this uh, my parents only had these type of skills, and they were. And this is my gene pool. I'm average because of that reason. They're being victims to that. We love preaching, embracing your average quality, being more self aware of how you are average, and then that will allow you to become the best version of yourself and be the most contributor you can be to society. And through all of that, you you start to emulate more humility because you understand how. Like, you're not great at these things, and this is what I need to do to become better at it. Um, and you, you continuously veer away from being that victim that you're talking about by embracing these average qualities. And that's kind of the message that we're trying to push out to our audience right now.
2: Yeah, great. Well, tough job you guys have in front of you. And all power to you. for so You've got to start somewhere. Uh, at some point, everyone has to kind of wake up to this obsession with I, me, and my. Even the whole personal development industry, it's all about I, me, and my. How do I get better? How do I improve? How do I have an edge? I want to improve my lot in life and in the world and what's my gig in life and what's my future going to look like. And it's all about one's own self-importance. And that gets old. It gets old and that context is used up. Can't that? What that context creates is a you or me kind of world. And then everything occurs as a threat to your success or my success. Everything's a threat to that and... I think we've got to evolve from there to a you-and-me kind of world. And, and I say this because I don't know how you can kind of have people not be a victim until there's a, a fundamental transformation in what it means to be a human being. You know, at some point in time, I don't know when it was, maybe in the middle Middle Ages... Probably happened over a couple of, a period of a couple of hundred years. I don't know, but there was a shift towards self-determinism, and then, you know, bring that towards modern day. There was a shift where, uh, you know, at some point it was okay for for people to have slaves, and now it's not okay. There was a shift there. there was a shift from, you know, it wasn't okay for women to vote. Right, And and now that just kind of seems absurd that the world was like that at one point in time. And there are these shifts. And there's got to be a shift in in the current context of what it means to be human. Because I've got to tell you, it's not pretty out there. While you and I are obsessing over our own goddamn success, and please forgive me for using that term, um, I don't, you know, don't want to blaspheme, but it does allow me to make that point that it is, relevant to everyone, where you and I are, are obsessing over our own personal success, yet there's a child that dies from malnutrition every six seconds, where it seems that rape is still built into the current fabric of humanity, where there are more wars for today than there ever was in the history of mankind, where there are people in the world that don't even have access to water that doesn't kill them. Where corruption seems to run and rule every facet of commercial society and we're seemingly oblivious to it. And you talk about health in context, I can talk about stem cells and the difference that it could make to the future of medicine and even to people's ailments today. But fundamentally, uh, what makes the biggest difference is people stepping up and being accountable for what's actually happening in the world, not just being a slave to the fantasies that they have in their own head about how life should be. Too bad, so sad. You don't live in a perfect world. You know, this whole, uh, no offence to the family, I don't know them personally, but it kind of points to where we've become obsessed, this whole Kardashian kind of lifestyle. That's not what life is really about. That's the fantasy. And I think in that obsession, um, that obsession about being, um, you know, all about one's own self-importance, that obsession about uh, trying to figure out uh, what I can get away with in life and how best to cover my ass in the process is the cause of a lot of suffering. And you want to be self-expressed. You want to be inspired in life. If you want to wake up and have your life and your purpose be be given by something bigger than yourself, where you experience contributing on a big scale and making an enormous difference in life and having your existence here on planet Earth really matter. So you better start not only developing uh, you better start developing a not only a self-awareness, but a, a way of listening in life and noticing what is really wanted and needed. What's really wanted and needed, and I don't mean just in the world. Start with your own bloody backyard. Start with your own families. Start with the people that you're most concerned for. The one that the, the people and that environment that you spend most time with and what's really wanted and needed there and do the critical thinking and discover for yourself, wow, if this was there, this was in place, or if that happened, that would make an enormous difference to what people are really dealing with, what people are really concerned for. That could possibly bring about a level of satisfaction and fulfillment that doesn't currently exist. And if you can hear that that's wanted and needed in your workplace or in your university or your place of worship, then you hold yourself accountable for producing that result. And in that accountability, you'll discover the leadership. You'll discover the innovation that's required. You'll discover what you're really made of and capable of. And if people acted like that, I'll tell you now, we, we would have a completely different world to live in a completely distinct world from the garbage that we currently have that will make make me proud to raise my kids on this planet and, and be able to say, you know, this is our gift to you. This is a whole new world that I'm gifting to our kids and future generations. And I want people in 500 years' time to experience life in a way that allows them to look back 500 years in the past, and go, Wow, our ancestors really loved and cared for us. Absolutely. Just like we can now when we look at the, our forefathers. And as you know, you, in America, you, you know, you look at your forefathers and you go, Wow, they really stood for something extraordinary and it gave us the possibility of having the life that we have today. And now you've got to confront, you're about to trash it all.
0: Yeah, and I, I think a that's, really good that's point. The,
2: that's the level of responsibility that
0: that I think needs to be brought for. Yeah, and one thing that you mentioned that I loved was like, it's not about me, myself, and I. It's about you and me. And I think one thing that's really on the forefront of that you and me movement, what's going to enable the you and me movement is stem cells. And like, Andrew and I have done a brief research. Like, we're, we're not the we're not you, obviously, with stem cells. But what we do understand is like, stem cells come from yourself, and it promotes your body and helps helps regenerate the cells that have been destroyed. But the way that stem cells can help other people is only if they, those other people, can contribute. So like when I talk about the other people, I'm talking like governments, FDA, and just the absolute the overall movement that pushes that forward. So I love I and that's kind of what I wanted to more the to touch on more specifically was the stem cell aspect, where we're kind of going and how the stem cells can really you know, promote uh, our world and help our and or our children realize, like, hey, these guys actually um, helped us out. These guys, uh, these guys made a difference.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, as, as I was saying, it's like what's wanted and needed in the area of health and wellness, or well-being and uh, fulfilling that possibility of being well. And the way allopathic medicine is heading, where it's, it's all about drugs and surgery and it's ruled by commercial influences, and people aren't getting well. They're just not. We don't understand the real impact of nutrition. And when I say we, I mean uh, people overall. And if we did, and if we were responsible for it, then we wouldn't end up with these degenerative diseases where our tissue just degenerates, and more drugs and more surgery. Not the answer. If it was, then we wouldn't be in the state that we're in. And, you know, the statistics are similar in the United States as they are here in Australia, where 65% of the adult population are overweight. Uh, A third of the adult population are are obese. Um, People uh, are in pain. They they tolerate the pain. They're not really provided workable solutions from their trusted physicians. People are not trusting the medical community as much as they used to. Uh, They're taking matters into their own hands, which is a double-edged sword. I think it's it's great for people to be empowered, and I think it's the way forward. They have to take accountability for their own well-being rather than um, uh, you know passing that responsibility on to the medical fraternity. So where does stem cells, where does regenerative medicine fit into all of this? Uh, it's an interesting one because there's a there's a want or a, um, a, a drive to try and fit stem cell medicine into the current allopathic um, uh, paradigm of medicine, and it just doesn't fit. And it doesn't fit because it doesn't, there's the potential uh, for curing certain diseases and um it, it just it's beautiful and frustrating at the same time and I was looking at the state of medicine and healthcare care and I was like well, what can I hold myself accountable for at least here in Australia and I have this these three kind of commitments and one obviously is protective medicine. I don't even use the term preventative medicine for myself anymore because you can't really prevent um, the onset of of, of age-related diseases. Why? Because we're all going to age. That's just inevitable. But you can protect yourself from um, certain disorders and, and disease state. So what, what's going to protect yourself? And, and so long as you can maintain a healthy weight and you don't smoke, uh, I like the use of these kind of products like the wine doctor, um, which is, is available now in the United States. I worked to get that product into the US. It's available from a uh, winery in Napa um, that's owned by Paul Maroon. It's called Maroon Wine. You know, you can check that out online. But the wine doctor is fascinating in that it has elevated levels of antioxidant, uh, specifically this molecule called resveratrol, which is an anti aging molecule. Um, and that too has the potential to influence regenerative capacity within our body. Take a step further. The ideal protein is probably the best nutritional program available on the planet. It's got 28 years of research, clinical experience, and I've worked with the Canadian company uh, through their US partners to bring it to Australia and make it available to uh, to medical clinics here in Australia very powerful using nutritional strategy to reverse metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes. And then we've got curative medicine where people have um, degenerated to the point where now they're suffering, they're in pain, there's some dysfunction going on in their body, and that's where we can use stem cells to really modify that disease state. And the promise of regenerative medicine is just extraordinary. So you have um, stem cells in, throughout your entire body. And what we want to do is take stem cells from a site of high concentration and relocate them to a site of tissue damage or disease. And, you know, we've been doing uh, bone marrow transplants for a good 50 years, and that is in and of itself, the stem cells, treatment and we can drill into your bone and extract some of the bone marrow and concentrate that and inject that into your joint for example and that could potentially relieve pain and improve function Um, and there's some evidence to suggest that it may help to regenerate some tissue in your joint if you've got osteoarthritis for example. It turns out now that we know we can get 500 to 1,000 times more stem cells from your fat tissue than from your bone marrow, which is great because most people have enough fat that we can readily extract a little bit and, and obtain the regenerative cells and then just place them where they need to be. And that approach has been used to treat a number of disorders from not only musculoskeletal conditions, but also autoimmune disorders, um... Lung disorders like COPD or chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. Um, it's also been used to rejuvenate uh, aesthetic appearances. It's used in cosmetic medicine. People have even used it to regrow hair uh, by getting those stem cells injected into the scalp. Um, and uh, it, it really is a, a game changer and does give the health consumer an opportunity to take responsibility for the various choices they've made throughout their life or even the genetic predisposition that they may have and not be a victim to the, the body or their genetic makeup or whatever past trauma that they've had or injuries that they've had and actually take responsibility. And you can even thank your stem cells now. You no. Know, you and I missed the boat. We didn't have the opportunity to have our cord blood bank when we were babies, but now we can take the stem cells from our fat and have them grown or what we call expanded in the laboratory and then stored for later use that we can access at some time in the future where, you know, if you, we have a heart attack, for example, no cardiologist is going to approve us to get a liposuction to obtain the fat, but if you've got your stem cells banked, but you can just access those cells and have them injected intravenously, and those cells are phenomenal. They go to the sites of inflammation or tissue damage, and then they help heal and repair and remodel that tissue and restore a sense of wellness and well-being um, for that patient. It's just, it literally is a game changer. So it's, it's an extraordinarily exciting area of medicine and a, a very powerful opportunity for like i said health consumers to be um uh take their power back and utilize their own cells without drugs without surgery um to heal
0: themselves it's pretty cool yeah that's super cool and you know it, it in putting especially i did not know you could bank your stem cells like that like if everybody was born or obviously everyone gets born but like for future people who are born they could bank their stem cells from the fat that they have then from when they're a toddler or something like that. And then they can use that for when they, you know, um, are hurt, you know, maybe when they're 60. Because you can grow and scale those stem cells is what it sounds like. How, um, and you've, you've listed like, I can't, I've been writing them all down as you've been talking. But all these just great um, ways to, you know, solve these issues with pain and tissue damage. How much of this is um, actually legal?
2: Um, look, there's a, there's, there's this way of looking at it, whether it's legal or not. So I can speak, for example, let, let me start with what's happening to the U in, in the United States, because I think that's relevant to the majority of the listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States, there's somewhat of a, um, a pretty heated conversation going on at the moment, um, where there's different kinds of stem cell technologies available. So historically, if we go back a number of years, a lot of the stem cell research was around what we call embryonic stem cells. And that's where you would take a a fertilized uh, egg, um, oocyte we call it, and and it's fertilized and it starts to develop into an embryo. It gets to about four or five days and we call that a blastocyst and you take the cells from that embryo or blastocyst and they're embryonic stem cells and you can grow them. And what's great about embryonic stem cells is they have the potential to turn into any kind of cell. So what that makes possible is regenerating whole organ systems or, or very specialized tissue and... and. Um, uh, that's really, really cool. The problem is there's a couple of dilemmas using embryonic stem cells. One is a, an ethical dilemma. You know, you've got to obtain those cells from a from an embryo, and then there's the the ethical dilemma that, that's faced. There. The other one is a technical dilemma in that um, twofold. One, if you use those cells to treat another human being who has a disease, they're not those cells aren't from that patient. So then the patient needs to be... uh, They need their immune system suppressed with with drugs to allow the uptake or or allow them to receive those embryonic stem cells so they don't reject them. So that's the first thing. They need to be on immunosuppressant drugs. The second um, technical aspect is that those embryonic stem cells, uh, their growth tends to be somewhat unchecked once you put them into uh, a body and then you run the risk of those cells developing what we call teratomas, uh in other words, tumors. So you, you stick the embryonic stem cells into a rat, for example, that rat will develop teratomas mm-hmm. that can be detrimental to their, to their health, obviously, if you're growing tumors all over your body. So you as an adult, your, your adult body doesn't know and hasn't had to deal with embryonic stem cells. So it's not cut out for that. Um, the problem is that billions of dollars were spent on embryonic stem cell research without any real clinical, applicably available technologies. There was no commercial output. So now, it's like, holy crap, Did we waste all that money, I think embryonic stem cells would be great for research purposes and drug development. Uh, in 2012, there was a, a researcher by the name of Yamanaka from Japan. He won the Nobel Prize in 2012. And he invented this new technology called Induced Pluripotent stem Cell Technology, or IPS technology. And that's where you could take an adult, an adult cell of any kind. You could take one of your skin cells. And you could genetically modify it, you can introduce two or three genes into that cell and it turns it back into a an embryonic stem cell-like state, which can then be uh, grown to infinite numbers and also turned into any kind of cell that you're interested in. That handles the ethical dilemma. You don't have to take a cell from the embryo anymore, but it doesn't handle the fact that you need immunosuppression drugs, and it doesn't handle the potential risk of teratomas. So, what's the alternative? Using adult stem cells. So, the stem cells from fat, or the stem cells from bone marrow, etc. Now, is it legal? Yes, it is. But in the United States, there's somewhat of a, a shift now where the FDA... Uh, uh, considers your stem cells, if you take them out of your fat, as soon as that tissue is extracted and uh, dissociated to gain access to those regenerative stem cells, the FDA considers that a drug.
0: A Schedule so 1 drug, right? Is
2: considering, or is considering it a drug. Okay. And I don't know, I don't think the, the law is set in stone yet. But there's a movement towards that that is causing a lot of conflict and a lot of controversy and a lot of misunderstandings about uh, what is possible what's not possible and it's difficult because that most health consumers don't understand the difference between you know what's technically and scientifically and clinically possible and what's not and then even if it is scientifically and technically possible does the regulatory environment of that country allow for it? And then, even if the regulatory environment allows for it, are various clinicians willing to offer those kind of services or treatment options to patients? Why
0: not they? Though I think
2: that there's a real challenge there. How do you have, how do you draw a straight line between? what's scientifically possible and then what's actually made available to the health consumer. And it, it kind of flies in the face of um, the traditional sort of pharmaceutical model of drug development. And um, every time, for example, some of these uh, groups like U.S. stem cells who are at the forefront of stem cell technologies and, and patient treatments, and there's another group called the Cell Surgical Network on the other side of the country, so U.S. stem cells, uh, and Kristen Canella, she's an extraordinary scientist, um, really inspiring. Look her up. She's just a, a wealth of knowledge and just an unbelievable human being. Uh, she's in Florida. There's another group in California led by uh, Dr. Martin Berman. Uh, he's a, a surgeon and he has a group called the Cell surgical Network. Um, those two groups are being targeted currently by the Department of Justice and the um, and, and potentially being prosecuted and is causing a lot of controversy and exciting conversations, which I think is bringing regenerative medicine to the forefront for people to talk about. Uh, it's not that dissimilar here in Australia, where up until uh, right now, um, stem cell, these kinds of stem cell treatments are available for people. Uh, As of the 1st of July, our version of the FDA, we call it the TGA, which stands for Therapeutic Goods Administration, is regulating stem cell therapies. Um, We can't even, from the 1st of July this year, we can't even uh, talk about stem cells on our website, for example. So if you look at mskstemcell.clinic, my website for my clinic, um, I'm going to have to change all of that. I'll probably bring the whole website down. I'll have to read structure the whole thing, um, because stem cells will be considered a drug or a therapeutic good, and you can't advertise drugs, according to Australian laws, so we won't even be able to do that. Um, Even if a patient takes the the tissue, has the tissue taken out of their body, stem cells are isolated, grown, stored, once they're stored, those cells no longer belong to the patient. They become a drug that then the patient can't even readily access. Now, if you look at this from a patient's perspective, where all other treatment options have failed, they've got no alternative, that kind of thinking, that kind of government regulation just does not make sense. How is that helping people, right? i tell you who it does help, and I'll, I'm more than willing to say this, it helps those who don't get paid every time we treat a patient. Mm-hmm. Because every time we treat a patient, and we prevent the requirement for them having a total joint replacement surgery. The orthopedic surgeons don't get paid, the drug companies don't get paid, the government doesn't get paid. I've created an environment where there's a direct transaction and, and a relationship between a patient and a doctor that's empowered, and everyone else can step the heck back. It's got nothing to do with them. It's a patient who's signing consent and saying, I understand what's going on here, I understand the technicalities, the regulatory environment, and I'm saying I want this treatment done because nothing else is helping me at the moment. So and that right to use their own cells and tissues is being taken away from them and it's just unjust in my in my opinion.
0: So you're pretty much saying that the TGA and the FDA are not approving stem cells because it would potentially harm or evidently harm uh, taking money out of the pockets of the pharmaceutical industry and, like, surgery, or surgeons in general. Is that kind of what you're saying here?
2: Yeah, but it's, I'm not targeting them saying that they're bad and, and they're the enemy. No, that's just the condition of life for human beings. That's the way the world works. And if you speak to them, they'll say, no, we're interested in patient safety. We want to make sure that there's no rogue doctors out there uh, making false promises to patients and, and uh, doing stupid things with stem cells. We want to make sure that patients aren't harmed. Well, no patient has ever developed cancer from this kind of stem cell treatment. Um, there have been the, the safety profile of the thousands of patients treated with this kind of approach throughout the world over many, many years. No drug trial can stand up for that kind of safety profile, yet, you know, they use the the safety of the patient as their leverage point. Um, but, you know, it's not their fault. It's just this is the pressure of the world that we live in. And like I said, until there's a fundamental transformation in what for us human beings it means to be a human being, then none of this is really going to change. No, one, no attempt in any discipline or endeavor to make a difference the life of human beings, has ever really made that difference. Whether it be the social sciences, religion, engineering, science, technology, medicine, um, philosophy, none of it has made that difference. It's all we end up doing is creating a world of more, better, different changes that ultimately don't... It's like the, the next solution to the problem that we're facing today ends up being the next problem. If you look at, you know, when Henry Ford uh, mass-produced a car with an internal combustion engine, you know, that, that was to solve the problem. It wasn't, it wasn't only to solve the problem of transport issues. It, that solved the problem of pollution, because there was too much manure on, our, on the roads. And if we got rid of the horses, if we got the horses off the road and replaced them all with, with cars with internal combustion engines, that would solve the problem of pollution. And look at what that did. So every solution to a problem becomes the next problem. So you end up with this problem-solution mass. And it gets to the point where you're like, there's so much garbage going on in the world. It's like, how can we make a difference here? you have got to go right back to the overarching context that drives us as human beings. Commercial gain, self-importance, seeing what we can get away with, how best to cover our ass, how to survive better until
1: we die does change the world, man. I mean, uh, that, that's as that's that's as real as it gets, and as deep as it gets. And one thing I want to kind of touch on with you and your profession, and trying to um, put the ownership back in the health consumers, and not feel like uh, exactly what yourself what what you're saying is going on, but more in a positive note. You've started these four companies to to provide ownership for these health health consumers. Um, and do you feel like you um, with, like, the Wine Doctor, with Ideal Protein Australia, um, these type of organizations and then companies are allowing consumers to um, not only have the ownership but also have the ability to look at themselves in a more whole fashion? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, what's
2: ultimately going to make the biggest difference in in healthcare is the health consumer being accountable for their own well-being. And... Um, you know, as I said, they pass the buck to their GP, uh, who then their hands are tied. They're at the effect of various insurance companies and medical regulatory authorities and, and the, the business of the clinic that they run. They're, they're a slave to it all. So their hands are tied. They can't always provide the kind of healthcare care that I'm sure they want to provide for the patient. So oftentimes, and, and the knowledge base is beyond them in many situations, so they've got to refer to a specialist. And then the specialist physician, they're a consultant. They have got the time to, to really invest themselves in, in being accountable for an outcome for a patient, at least that's the case here in Australia. So they, they, um, they, they divert the accountability back to the GP. So then no-one's being accountable for the outcome, not even the patient. And um, I think if we can empower people to be, if we can enable and, and empower them and be accountable for their own well being, to step in the right direction, we've got to start with treatment options that give them a choice, where we educate them, where we work with them over time, um, where the patient experiences having a say uh, in their future health. And, um, you know, that's the aspect that I love the most. I mean, I do all these projects and I know I might sound like it's all doom and gloom, but I kind of speak like that to paint a reality of, of life of people so they can wake up from the fantasy of, of, of everything is going to be okay. And if you can create that, you know what, it's, it's, it's screwed and it's our job to unscrew it and have some fun along the way. I mean, I love meeting with people and working with them and getting in, personally invested in their lives and what matters to them. And, and if we can relieve the pain in your knees or your hip such that you can move freely and participate in life, what are you going to get up to? And I love standing, like I said, shoulder to shoulder with the patients and looking with them out into a future of, wow, what could life look like here? What could you get up to? And, you know, if you, if you can now bend over and, and move your knees, then, you know, you're going to get down on those knees and plant some trees to help the planet. You know, deforestation and, and, uh, you know, increasing in livestock industry is really detrimental to the environment. You know, what are you going to do about that? Or what's happening in your family, your own backyard? How can you uh, restore some of these relationships? And how can you participate? And that's ultimately what I'm concerned for, is how do we get people participating in life in a way that's productive, that contributes, that makes a difference? And, um, you know, you... you you guys, if you come to my funeral,
1: whenever that happens, I want you know, I'd, I'd looking in the box and seeing nothing but a puddle of sweat and a little note saying, got used up. That's awesome. That's the coolest shit. Well that. done. Um, <laughs> and having a little more fun with this interview, I, we have this part of our interview where we incorporate a game. And this is, our, game. this is a game alert. And we had our marketing interns, our listeners, email in or message us some things that they feel like they need to take more ownership in in their health, and we're going to list them off, and maybe you could uh, give us a little description on how they can take ownership in it, and Declan, we'll kick it off with the first one.
0: Yeah, so we got a couple quick hitters. Um, I'll start off with this one, Dean. Uh, someone was like, I need to take ownership, you know, in my own body right now. I'm going to go ahead and start a ketogenic diet. Yep. Great. Great. I mean, look,
2: that. You got to start where you're at. You know, you got to be, you got to be aware of what you've got, where you're at. Um, start there. You got to, you got to notice any, any internal conversations. And when I say internal conversations, I mean that voice in your head that never shuts the heck up. <laughs> you know, the one that tells you you're, you're a loser, the one that says that you can do this, and then sh- straight after it says so, no, you can't. Uh, the one that blames other people, the one that... That little voice, there, as soon as we wake up, it's there when we go to bed at night. It there to shut the heck up. And I was having a conversation with a, a, a leader that I trained um, this morning and, and I was saying to her that that voice in your head um, that uh, it, it, it tells us what is possible and what's not possible. And, and it keeps us from being connected to reality so if you're going to take accountability for your well-being you've got to start with where you're at and most people don't know where they're at kind of like your finances you want to make a difference to your finances You've you've got to be straight about not some hoped for kind of bank account or you know this wish it's crazy what's coming in what's going out in reality and when you take accountability for your well-being, it's got to be in the same vein. You've got to know, wow, what am I eating here? Document everything that you stick in that mouth of yours. Document it. Write it down when you're eating it. And people mostly are unaware of what they eat. There's like this unconscious kind of, um, what's the term I like to use? There's a, a tranquilized obviousness to life. Like, you know everything. You just, you step outside of your house, you just know how much well, that day is going to go. No, wake the heck up. Start getting connected to reality. Document everything that you in your mouth. now. Right? Start with quality nutrition. And I promise you, you'll start noticing not only what you're eating, but you'll start noticing the limited food choices that you have, at least in your perspective. And if you wake up, you'll start seeing alternative food choices that could actually make a difference. So... You wanna lose weight, this whole ketogenic diet, for example. Let me just say something about that because there's so much garbage out there on the internet about what it is and what it's not and how to do it, and how not to do it, and all this sort of crap.
0: Perfect.
2: So ketosis is really, really simple. All ketosis is is the process of your body utilizing your own fat stores as an energy source. How do you do that? People go, What's like the ketogenic diet? We've got to wrap freaking uh, avocado and bacon and eat. Uh, that's not it. I promise you, it's not it. So, back in the 1920s, they did some research on rats and they replaced the calories from the carbohydrates with fat calories just to ensure that there was the same between the control group and the study group that they had the same total amount of calories. And several decades later, for some reason, people think now that the ketogenic diet means it needs to be high fat. It's just not true. You want to lose weight, you've got to create a caloric deficit. You've got to eat less calories than what your body needs. What that means is your body's going to look for alternative fuel sources within itself. If you restrict carbohydrate intake, then your body has two choices, fat or protein. To prevent your body from catabolizing your own muscle and generating fuel from the protein, you must consume an adequate amount of protein in your diet to protect it. Then your body will only have fat as a fuel source. So, what will happen is the free fatty acids from your fat cells will get released, get taken to your liver, your liver will turn them into ketone bodies, and then that becomes a fuel source. It takes 72 hours. If you restrict your carbohydrate intake to less than 50 grams a day, it'll take around three days before you exhaust your own carbohydrate stores. We call that glycogen in your muscle. And then, and so long as you protect your lean muscle with adequate protein intake and you've got to consume good quality food, you've got to consume at least four cups of low glycemic index vegetables. No root vegetables, no potatoes, no starchy stuff, no peas, no corn. It causes too much of an insulin spike. The glycemic index is too high. So what happens when you eat food is... Your pancreas releases insulin. Insulin can be problematic if you're eating too much carbohydrates throughout the day. You have chronically high levels of insulin. It causes you to gain weight and it locks the fat in the fat cells. It prevents you from losing weight. So you want to bring your insulin levels right down. You do that by restricting your carbohydrate intake. And then you also want to create a caloric deficit. Then you'll start burning fat. Now, I don't recommend if you do that, if you take that on, um, I don't recommend you do exercise for a good three weeks at least because you've exhausted your muscle glycogen stores. Um, You'll just be tired. You'll cause too much inflammation and damage in your muscles. You just want to sit on the couch and just be diligent, be um, on your word around uh, that diet, and, uh, and it's for a temporary period of time just to reset your metabolism, rebalance your hormones, Um, and then slowly, once you've lost the desired weight, transition yourself slowly by, you know, reintroducing carbohydrates slowly back into your diet over a period of a couple of weeks at least. uh, You don't want to shock the pancreas too much. Uh, And then, you know, if you want more details around that or if you want a more structured approach, you want a medically directed um, program and you want the medical oversight and you want the ongoing coaching, then I would suggest go to a clinic, that offers the ideal protein protocol. Is the ideal protein protocol necessary? No, you could try and do it on your own. It'll be bloody hard, but (laughs) you know, and and I can tell you why it's hard. And I've got to address this as well. People think you should just generate more willpower and you just got to want it enough. And if you want it enough, then you'll produce the result. No, how the heck do you want it? You want it. I mean, everyone has that commitment. But, so if wanting something more is the solution, then what people do is they get busy trying to want something more. I mean, it's just insane. It's just ridiculous. Now, here's the reality of it. You're fighting against thousands of years of evolution. The human body was designed to put fat on. It wasn't designed to take it off. Losing weight is unnatural. So you need an unbalanced approach. So this whole balanced dietary approach that most dietitians and nutritionists are trained in just isn't going to cut it for weight loss. You need an unbalanced approach. That's how you lose weight. I mean, it's pretty simple. So not only are you fighting against the of years of evolution, you're also fighting against an environment that doesn't support you to be well. Mm-hmm. Just step outside, look around, the shitty food choices that, uh, or, that we're surrounded by. It's crazy. And not only that, we're being fed, no pun intended, but we're being fed the wrong information about what it takes to be well, not just skinny, but actually be well. Uh, That wrong information has been drilled into people's heads over the past 30 to 40 years. So you've got to get educated. You've got to study this stuff. You want to be accountable for your well-being? You've got to learn. Mm -hmm. Not only do you have to retrain your cells and tissues and organ systems and rebalance your hormones, you've got to train that brain of yours to understand the distinctions around
1: nutrition and well-being. And you can't go, oh,
2: I don't want to, I can't be bothered. Well,
1: if that's you, then, you know, you deserve what you get. Absolutely. And then another little marketing intern emailed this in and said, he has consistent issues with acid reflux and he has had a common cold for several months. Um, he's struggling, he wants to take ownership in his lifestyle, and uh, do you have any recommendations for him? By the way, this sounds a lot like Andrew, so uh,
0: it may or may not be Andrew. <laughs> yeah,
2: um, sometimes what being accountable looks like is trusting somebody else and putting your, hand in, and, and putting your life in the hands of an expert. And let me just say something about that. You know, um, how do I say this? If you're going to find a doctor or or a practitioner to put your life in the hands of, um, yeah, you've got to find someone that, you know, seems to know what they're talking about and has a workable solution for you. But you also have to take accountability for that relationship and, you know, it's not that I never get sick, but I tell you, when I do, this is what it looks like when I go see a doctor. I go in, I tell the doctor, this is what I'm dealing with. These are the symptoms, right? And I need to get well, and I need to get well within this time frame because this is the context. I need to perform at this event or this is what I've got going on in my life. And my current state of well-being isn't providing me with the kind of body that I need to execute on those commitments effectively. So now I'm communicating to my health practitioner what really matters to me, and there's a context for getting me well. And then you hold that practitioner to account for the outcome. Now, I'm not saying be an an arsehole about it, be forceful, but you've got to work in partnership with them. You can't just doctor shop. Because I, like I don't like the way that doctor spoke to me, or I don't like their strategy, or what What the heck would you know? If you're the one that's sick, clearly you don't, you don't know what the heck you're doing. So get the help that's required. Stop being so arrogant or ignorant to think that it should just disappear. So if you've got some kind of ongoing infection, you need to handle that. You need to do something to boost your immune system. Uh, what was the other concern besides an ongoing cold? What was it,
1: sorry? Uh, it was acid reflux. Uh, reflux. It's, acid. I, get it. I get it when acid. I drink a beer and yeah. I have a burger. Got it. Okay. Well,
2: you know what? If, if, if that acid reflux comes about when you consume certain foods, start noticing and stop eating those foods. Ooh, that's it's right. as simple as that. Stop being so stupid to think I should be able to eat B2. Well, sure, but you can if you want, but stop complaining about your goddamn reflux. Right? But if you want the reflux to disappear, then you've got to be responsible for that. So there are certain foods that are going to cause that. Stop eating them. You know, it's like that joke. Your doctor walks, uh, A patient walks into a doctor and says, doctor, doctor, uh, you know... It, Every time I do this to my finger, it hurts. The doctor says, well, stop doing that to your finger. That's so funny. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 I mean health and well-being is pretty damn simple. It's, it's it is. Of its common sense, right? But you have to actively participate, and health is a function of participation. And you have to actively participate in being well, what's going to get you well, and create a game around that. And if it's a process of eliminating certain foods that are causing those issues, then do that. Now, uh, with regards to reflux issues, and uh, if you go to some doctors, what they'll do is they'll just put you on a medication called a proton pump inhibitor um, to help uh, decrease the amount of acid being produced in your, in your stomach. Well, that's not the answer. Listen, when I put patients on uh, the ideal protein protocol, for example... 100% of patients that are on these proton pump inhibitor drugs come off those drugs within 7 to 10 days. 100% of patients, I get them off those drugs within 7 to 10 days. I'm a, I'm a real pain in the ass for drug companies because uh, people I work with just stop taking drugs.
0: Yeah, you're taking and the money out of the
2: patients. They have to if, if their life depends on it. You know, I'm not saying come off all drugs, but there is that potential to come off many, many drugs. And um, so that's that's one strategy there. But, you know, you've got to take accountability. You've got to study. You've got to learn. and You've got to trust. You know, you've got to trust in um, practitioners that are there to help you and make use of that. And just produce the result. Just get well so you can get on with your life and stop having that big, yeah, awesome. big complaint for yourself.
1: I appreciate that, Dean. Yeah,
0: get well, Andrew. I, yeah. I, I think you're right, Dean. You'd see, you said it perfect. You're like if, you, if you're having acid reflux from beer and burgers, Andrew, then maybe you just don't eat that It's anymore. my two favorite things be, in life. Be accountable. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you, Dean, for everything that you've, you've and filled and our brains with. I've got
2: to share with you, we've just, we've just invented a, a red and enhanced beer. And, uh, you know, personally, when I drink beer, I get a bit of bloating and sometimes get some sinus congestion and I'll drink a truckload of beer and I uh, didn't get any of that. So um, mm-hmm. who knows? We might get into, get that into production one of these days and uh, uh, the world's healthiest beer.
0: Yeah, may- that.
2: Anything's possible, right? Yes.
0: yes. And as a co-partner of uh, Wine Doctor, Beer Doctor.
2: Maybe, maybe I haven't come up with a name for it, but uh you know maybe maybe you guys marketing
0: experts that's that's what I need help with yeah we're we we pride ourselves on marketing uh and we pride ourselves on a lot of a lot of things, but uh you know one thing that we uh we're trying to do now is we're always uh, on the leading edge of you know trying to figure out the next best question to ask or um you know always trying to live in that moment, listen you know. Uh, and marketing too, because we got to promote the thing, uh, the things that we're passionate about. And I think having you on really encapsulated all of that. We started with um, talking about motivation and passions, and you know your life story and where you're coming from. And then we get into you know what people are interested in nowadays, which is you know how do we get that? I love that me and you process is like stuck with me this entire time. But the me and you, or rather than the me, myself, and I. How do you promote that? How do you get that going? I think marketing, like you said, is a big, big deal. And uh, so finishing up our interview here, thank you for your um, hour and 15 minutes. It's been just phenomenal. We appreciate all your time. But um, rather than us asking you a question, Dean, do you have any questions for the back pocket? Oh,
2: goodness. Uh, Do I have any questions? Any dying questions? (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to remain connected to you guys, and um, you know, if you'd like to continue the relationship with me over time, I'd I'd love the opportunity to to observe and participate in where you guys end up in life. Um, I really appreciate the, the time that you took. Uh, to answer some of my questions prior to the interview. I know that was a little bit uh, out of the box, given that you're interviewing me, Uh, but I wanted to know who I was speaking to, and I wanted to know what kind of human beings were on the other end of the line, on the other side of the world, um, that I could contribute to. And um, I I just, more than anything, I don't know if there's any questions, more of an acknowledgement, and I just really acknowledge The gusto and the wherewithal and the willingness to participate in your own lives the way that you're doing with a commitment to contribute to others. I can hear it loud and clear. I can really, um, I'm really present to your love for people, um, your zest for life, and the authenticity with which you come at it all. You know, you're in your, uh, is it mid-20s, mid to late-20s? Is that how old
0: you are? We're both 22 years old, just graduated from college well, a couple early, months early, ago. Wow, well,
2: early, early 20s. Well, well, there you go. I mean, you sound more mature, and it's an exciting time of life, and I, I just invite you to invest yourselves in experiencing as much as you can. And, um, you know, I, I look back on my 20s, and it really was a time where, particularly when I got to my mid to late twenties, I started to uh, started to bump up against the, the barriers or the constraints of my own strategies that I thought would get me through life and have me survive better and be successful and I got to at least thirty and I started to realise that all those strategies didn't account for diddly squat in the real world. And and I think that that process is an important one to Everyone to go through that, and, and you start to discover um, who you really are uh, versus who you think you are. Mm. And um, I think you guys are going to arrive there early. You, you're forcing yourself through those spaces, which is just really courageous. And um, like I said, I'd love to, I'd love the opportunity to be witness to that and participate in, in that journey as time goes on.
0: Absolutely. Well, we're uh we'll officially sign you on as a mentor of the back pocket. Uh, it sounds like you're all for it. Um yeah, and well, and yeah, just cuz you're in Australia doesn't mean we can't be connected. Uh technology works in wondrous ways. Um so thank you again yeah, for well, coming I've, on. I've and got to get over to the
2: United States soon. I've got partners over there in Florida and California and I work with a famous neurosurgeon uh, who's based in Pittsburgh as well. So um we'll we'll see what the future holds hopefully i can enjoy a a beer with you declan in the not too distant future and andrew you can you can have water
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love it dean thank you so much this has been a pleasure and that was our interview with dean kilby thank you so much for taking time out of your morning we were in the we were in the night you were in the morning we were you were in Australia. We were in Minnesota. You mistaken us for Michigan in the beginning, but you quickly recovered and and re- truly gave us your time and your mind. Thank you. The look on your face after he said Michigan was just like not pure disgust, but like it was defeated defeated for sure. It was like I don't think he really was, he he either doesn't like know who we are, so he doesn't like I didn't I didn't know his feel for us yet, and yeah. he it was just a simple miscue. The best too was right before the interview. Andrew and
0: I. We're in the midst of setting up Google Hangouts, which is how we're gonna start doing our FaceTime interviews and or just like screen interviews so we can use that for audio video. video purposes pretty much. And I told him I was like, Yeah, so we we sent you the link and he's like, I can't remember my Google password for the for the life of me. We're like, Okay, no worries And we're like, Yeah, like by the way, we like just figured this out like thirty minutes ago and like this is our first time and he was like well, if you like, you didn't care to tell me ahead of time that you were gonna do it this way, and we just like looked at you like, oh, yeah, he's kind of right. He like, yeah. kind of blew that. Yeah, We screwed up on that. One. Yeah, and so from learning the, from our failures. Le- learning from our failures, absolutely. So the next interview hopefully will be
1: our first Google Hangouts. And We should Google Hang out together, and then like make sure it works, and then we'll do it. With, Which like, we kind of did uh, like I was, uh, Five seconds before it And then we got to put more time to it. it What the trouble was, I had just arrived in the Minnesota And you had just got home from work And we came straight up here trying to figure it out And it took us forever But moral of the story is uh, Dean Kilby, thank you I know you gave us plenty of golden nuggets Health consumer ownership uh, Stem cell research Needs to be talked about I know it is being talked about But it needs to be a pressing need um, Your life story of the failure and the growth that you took. Thank you for sharing that. Any, Declan, any I else?
0: loved um, how we're, he's officially signed on as a back pocket mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, it was phenomenal. Me and you, he's just has taken a keen interest in me and you, uh, which we were not expecting at all. You know, when you hop on a phone call with someone who's halfway across the world, down under, as he said. You know, you don't expect those kind of reactions, and he was just kind of a guy that Johnny helped us out get, helped us connect with, and I think that just shows the power of networking, networking, but genuine connecting, just having a conversation with someone because that's all it was. Mm-hmm. It was asking Dean, you know, and oh, the other thing we probably should mention, which I think was mentioned a little bit in the interview, but we asked. Usually, we send our questions to Dean, or our, we send uh, we usually t- send our guests. Questions before, like 24 hours before so they can review them. Dean said, no, I don't need any questions. I know what my profession is. I know what my life story is. I want to know about you. He gave
1: us a list of questions. He gave
0: us a list of questions for us to answer and reflect on so he knew who his audience was and he knew who Andrew and Declan were before he ever got on the phone with us, which Mm -hmm. I thought was awesome.
1: It blew me out of the water. And that was fun, too, going through because they were tough questions. They weren't just simple like, how long have you been doing this? What's your guys' names? Where are you from? It was like, what is your... What are you concerned with? What is your audience most concerned with? How do you uh, see yourself growing? So, simple questions, like not really simple questions. They seem simple, but once you you want to give this man a true um, explanation of all of these. And so we spent a good hour going back and forth on there, on the Google Docs, typing, like deleting, typing. It was a little conversation. It was fun. And I think we grew because of it, having those questions, um, having to answer those questions. Yeah.
0: And... And that just speaks to who Dean is and who he truly cares about. And he cares about the person, you know, that whoever he's interacting with at that time, he has full attention and full care for that person. Thank you, Dean. We appreciate everything that you've done. Now, trapping the puck and finishing off podcast 55 as it should be finished off. As it should be finished off. Yes. What do we
1: learn in a feel good story? Andrew, would you like to start us off? I would love to. Marketing interns, thank you so much for making it this far. We truly appreciate it, and we always appreciate you guys giving us the five-star review on iTunes and a little comment. Maybe follow us on Instagram or retweet us on Twitter. Give us a uh, a post on Facebook, well, any, all of the above. We always appreciate you guys, marketing interns. You truly do your job to the best of your ability. But finishing how we always do, what did you learn? So I learned this week with these car rides, it was my average quality, but also I learned a lot through taking a car trip with my mother, Um, podcasts can um, spark great conversation during a car ride with a peer. So we would pause the podcast that we were listening to several times, and then we would talk about it for 20 minutes and then restart it. It was super fun. Kind of like a book club. It was like a book club. We would listen to something, and then something that would spark us, and my mom would pause it and be like, hey, did you ever think about blah, blah, blah? And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then we'd talk, we'd have a little conversation, and then play it again. That and audiobooks. Both those, like having like a mystery audiobook, pause it, talk about it like a detective, and then play it, have sweet predictions. Like my mom and I had a blast. Um, so I recommend if you wanted to connect with a family member, a friend, go on a long car ride, listen to our podcast, listen to a podcast or maybe an audio book and you'll enjoy it. I think
0: just reflecting on the things you're taking in, you know, making the most of that car ride is super important too. And when you're in a car, like you have nothing else to do besides, you know, focusing on the road. And you need to be entertained at some point to maintain mm-hmm. that focus. I think actively challenging your brain and you know asking those questions every once in a while, and to keep yourself active within the uh, listening of the podcast, I think is super important. Now, uh, what I learned so that was a, that was a rough transition, but what I learned, mm-hmm. great. What did you learn? Thank you, sir. So I appreciate that gold star. What did I learn? Is Insta TV. So I woke up this morning. And actually, I woke up, I wouldn't say this morning, because when I mean this morning, I meant Thursday morning. I woke up Thursday morning, and I went on Instagram, checking the back pocket, as I always do, and I got bombarded by an advertisement, Instagram TV. And I was like, wow, this can't come out of nowhere. It was an overnight overnight dealio. And, uh, you know, of course, Gary V's on it. Of course, you know, all the main people who had already known about it before are on it. And I was like, gosh, how are are we best going to put the back pocket on Instagram TV? So what Instagram TV is, and this is what I learned, is it's basically Instagram's version of YouTube. You create your own, uh, you use your own uh, profile to create a channel on Instagram TV. And you can post a vertical, like phone vertical uh, post uh, anywhere from 2 to 10 minutes. So it's a longer platform. And it's meant for people to just what have. do they have
1: to be two minutes? Mm, so like no, no, they can
0: be they can be shorter. They don't have to be two minutes, and okay. so that's it can be any because length, right now Instagram really
1: only time. allows fifteen second videos on the live page or on your my story page, and then sixty second videos on your your posts. post personal page.
0: Yeah, and I think that totally helps us out as far as what I was thinking was maybe just post our segments on there like we do on YouTube, but just a different video platform or video orientation, I should say, mm-hmm. whereas the YouTube is, you know, a typical um, widescreen view, whereas the uh, Instagram channel is made strictly for your phone. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how everyone receives it. We posted a couple polls and saw that people, uh, a little over 50% of people don't want to watch two, two to 10 minute videos. And I totally agree. Instagram's a very like, if you're an in and you're out thing, you're not spending a lot of time. But I think over time, the whole idea behind it is for Instagram to just gain more.
1: They're trying to take YouTube's market longevity.
0: longevity. They're trying to get take some of YouTube's market because I bet what they're seeing is there's some crossover between people on Instagram and people on YouTube. So say you get that Casey Neistat to start posting on Instagram, that brings over you know x amount of YouTube people, mm-hmm. and then so on and so forth. That's kind of how you can grow, and it's it's going to be interesting. I'm excited, yeah. and I'm
1: excited to see where how we take it. Absolutely. Um, and then finishing up with a feel-good story. So this is something we leave on a positive note. We inspire our marketing interns, and it will also inspire us while we inspire you. Declan? Absolutely. So I was reading a
0: an article, not a an article. Um, of, it was radio. It was from podcastinfluencer.com if you want to go and follow them. It's how we get a lot of our news front in the podcast re- region. It's just at Podcast Influencer. They're a great resource to understand what exactly is going on in the podcast game and that is really the feel good story this week is what the future of podcasting is, what podcasting is now. It's phenomenal. The interview was with the CEO of Ad Results Media, so when you hear ZipRecruiter, when you hear Venmo, when you hear Cash App, when you hear all these different you know, Blue Apron, all these different Me undies. Me undies, you know, one MB outdoors. MB outdoors Skyline, Skyline specs. You know go by the way, go buy some Skyline specs today. We
1: didn't do an ad read for him today, so uh, hey, yeah. Yeah, go ahead and use Skyline Specs. I wore them all throughout my Hilton that trip. Use promo code back pocket. I plugged them several times. I know those people bought them. Um, and wholesale, let's also like wholesale for Skyline Specs is phenomenal
0: right now. You can go and get like twenty pairs um, for your business brand or company, and they're sweet sunglasses at an affordable price, and it's gonna catch someone's eye. Like Andrew wears his all the time. I wear mine to work every day. And people are like, dude, those are some dope sunglasses. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, these are the Skyline of Minneapolis. Or I'll wear the back pocket ones. And then that strikes a conversation just by their look. So go ahead and buy some at SkylineSpecs.com. Follow them on Instagram at Skyline underscore Specs. They're doing giveaways all the time, like once a week, I'm telling you. You got to get on it. And then if you also, if you hop onto SkylineSpecs.com, 15% promo code using the promo code back pocket for 15% off your order. Anyways, getting back to the article. The CEO of Ad Results Media, who does who connects sponsors or uh, companies that want to do sponsorships with podcasts, he was saying that the there's been an 8% jump in the first six months of 2018 from 2017 in podcast growth, which is very significant because if you scale that over seven years, um, a little less than seven years, that's a 50% growth if you do it from each year. Each if it year. stays consistent. If it stays consistent. So if you think... Um, well, 5%, five years would be 40% growth. Five years from now is 2023. He was saying in 2020 alone, $659 million of revenue expected. The highest performing podcasts right now in terms of revenue growth is comedy, which is us, and sports, which makes sense. And then he's also saying uh, major brands. So major brands like Delta, Progressive, Gillette, Burger King, and Budweiser. Yes, we just said Budweiser.
1: Bud heavies. Bud you, heavies you are Only coming. get to drink one when you earn it.
0: Exactly. So all these major brand companies are coming over from TV and all these other ones and transitioning, maybe even from radio, and are transitioning into podcasts, which says something, right? If all these ma- these companies aren't going to put in twenty thousand dollars in for that for a marketing campaign, they're putting in millions of dollars into these podcasts and you can only imagine how that how that's going to go right um so what he in 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 closing he said in the next five years which is what i said that 40 percent growth he thinks marshall williams the ceo of ad results media thinks that the podcast um advertising marketplace will grow to a
1: multi-billion dollar uh marketplace so something to think about definitely positive feel-good story for us for you guys, it's going to let you know that podcasts aren't going in a way. And if you're an avid listener, there's going to be more content out there. I hope you guys stick with us because we're continuing to push out content. I just recently listened to um podcast, I think it was 31, with our girlfriends because I was driving home from uh, Hilton Head and I thought it would be funny to listen to Faith and Sierra. Declan and I have our... Uh, discussion we had back in i think it was november it was right before thanksgiving it was our thanksgiving podcast it was the thing yeah yep and uh i I, the the growth that we've had just in 30 podcasts less than 30 podcasts has been incredible we are going podcast industry is on the up and up we are on the up and up you guys are on the up and up because you're always getting after you're always being the best version of yourself take your golden nugget influence someone motivate someone be an entrepreneur because that's an innate ability we all have Take care, marketing interns. Couldn't have said it any better. Guess what? Podcast
0: 56. It's going to be a great one. Take care. Love you guys. Take care.